You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is October 10th, a rainy October 10th, 2020. I hope you're all safe. I hope that the tornadoes pass by you with with no damage uh, tonight. I know that they were going from my side of the state in Carrollton uh, heading east, so I hope you're all safe. Uh, Atlanta United was beaten by New York Red Bulls, one to nothing tonight on a controversial goal by 17-year-old Caleb Clark making his first appearance in an MLS game. I'm going to get into that in a few minutes uh, with our guest, Jason Longshore of 92.9 FM, SoccerDownHere.net, and for tonight, a member of the Fox Sports family, uh, making his, I think, second TV appearance uh, covering Atlanta United, or I may have got that number wrong. Uh, But Jason looked sharp in his suit and his kangle, but as I again pointed out on Twitter, he has still not worn the giant foam cowboy hat uh, that he had promised me he would after losing a bet. But you were supposed to provide the foam cowboy hat, and uh, you have it. If that's all I've got to do, then you're in a heap of trouble, my friend. I will go on Amazon me. as soon as this is done and order one. Uh, I think you missed your window. <laughs> that was supposed so. to be after the championship in 18. Now, there's no expiration date on the giant foam cowboy hat. That's all. I, I don't know about that. So let's get to the game. People don't care about the giant foam cowboy hat. Even though That's it, true. It would, it would tickle me unbelievably. Um, Atlanta United, this was a big, big game. Atlanta United loses one to nothing, doesn't put a shot on goal. Um, I guess the closest it came was when a shot hit the crossbar. There was one that went a few feet wide late in the game. Uh, the offense really not great for most of the game. There was a 15-minute period at the end of the first half that I thought it looked really sharp. Um, as a result, when tomorrow's results are done, Atlanta United could find itself outside of the playoff race. And by not getting three points tonight, I think is in a five-team scrum for the final two spots in the 10-team East. It's not ideal. It's not a good spot to be in if you're Atlanta United right now. Um, we'll get into kind of how you got there tonight. Uh, I, w- I will question it. It's total semantics. The shot at the end that was wide should be a shot on goal because Mara makes a save. It, it comes off his hip, but goalkeeper would get credit for the save there. Maybe I'm just hashtag GK Union or something on it. It's one shot. doesn't make a difference. <laughs> You weren't good enough in the attack tonight. You fell behind early in the second half, and you can't fall behind a New York Red Bulls team. 
They're too right. good defensively. It's what they built their game plan off of, and they were able to make it even more difficult for you. You had a good 45 minutes, but you didn't get anything to show for it. It has been uh, recorded as a shot on goal for John Gallagher, by the way. Okay, good, um, for, good for Ryan Merritt getting it safe. I just went and looked that up. Um, so let's talk about the, the pivotal moment in the game, uh, which was the goal by Caleb Clark. And just to recap, this is my view of what happened. Um, Atlanta United struggled uh, to start the second half with getting the ball out of their own end. Um, and there was a corner kick. Atlanta United didn't really clear the corner. It came to the top of the box. Um, and Clark hit a nice volley. I don't think he hit it particularly hard, but he did put it on goal, which is what you've got to do. It went through a group of players. There were two Red Bulls players offside. One of them was not involved in the play, but the other was Daniel Royer, who, as Brad Guzan is seeing the shot, Royer is about two yards in front of Guzan and to his left. So there's a pathway between an Atlanta United player who's in front of Guzan, who has put Royer offside, and Royer. It's probably about three yards wide, this path. The ball comes through that path. As the ball is about six yards out, Guzan dives to, starts to dive to his left. Royer has to get out of the way of the shot. The shot goes in. Guzan immediately jumps up, tells Jair Marufo, uh, my – he was pointing to his eyes. Milana sight was interfered with. Marufo declines to even review the goal on a video monitor. He did listen to Alan Kelly, the VAR. You can see him doing his ear thing. But the goal stands. In my opinion, should not have been a goal. Clear interference by Royer because Guzan did not know that Royer was offside, did not know if Royer was going to make a play on the ball, and Royer moved as the ball approached him. Had he not moved, the ball likely would have hit his hip and gone into the goal on Guzan's right. I'm 100% with you, Doug. Like, I, the argument and I think the narrative that's already been created by the referee community on this one, um, and this is going all the way up to the, the top of pro, is that he wasn't in the line of sight, so therefore he did not interfere. He interferes because, as you said very clearly, and, and Stephen Glass told us at halftime very clearly, Brad Guzan has to account for Daniel Royer, who was in an offside position. By being in that offside position, he gives his team an advantage because the goalkeeper has to wait for a potential redirect. Brad Guzan doesn't know if, if Daniel Royer's onside or not. He can't tell from his position. He has to react to the potential of Royer redirecting that shot from Clark. He's offside. He has to move out of the way. If he doesn't move out of the way, it's called offside. That's the crazy thing about this. Right. And it's down to interpretation. And that's where I'm frustrated that Jair Marufo opted not to go look at it to interpret the play. Because that's the classic situation here where Alan Kelly can't make the call. Alan Kelly can say, we have these angles. We have these views. He is in an offside position. We don't think he's between the ball and the goalkeeper which is all true, but gaining an advantage from his positioning, it's part of the offside law. He gains an advantage because it forces Brad Gazan to account for him. And 
that is something that Jair Marufo probably can't tell from live action. He can get told that the, that Royer is not between the ball and Kazan. It's not the situation that we saw with Bradley Wright Phillips in the Eastern Conference Finals like one where a goal was taken off or being in that line of sight. Not that. It's down to interpretation. And Marufo made that interpretation without having all of the information that he should have had, and he didn't want to go look at it. And it changed the game. It, 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 it's a game-winning goal. It changes the game. It changes everything. Um, it doesn't excuse the turnover that led to the corner kick initially. It doesn't excuse the poor clearance. It doesn't excuse any of that. It doesn't excuse one shot on goal. It doesn't excuse any of that. But you add this to the list, and it's a long list. It's a long list of situations that have affected the way games could have played out that have gone against Atlanta United. Typically, these things work themselves out over a full season. This is a season like no other, but Atlanta United's come out on the short end of the stick a lot on these kinds of decisions, and it's frustrating. It's very, very frustrating. So I think we've rehashed that pretty well. I, I mean, I've yeah, read, we're on the same page with it. I, I, we think they got it wrong. Yeah, I've read the bullet points, and the last one is one that applies. It was an obvious act of interference. Um, yeah. I mean, people are saying, well, but Guzan dove for the shot. Well, of course he dove for the shot. That's yes. what he's paid to do. He's yes. not going to stand there and watch the ball go past him. Um, but he has to account for Royer. Uh, you don't know, would he have dove with two hands? Would he have dove earlier? You don't know because Royer is standing there. Anyway, um, Marcelina Moreno, uh, the team's newest designated player, introduced to the media on Thursday after the signing was announced. I think it was two weeks ago. I may have the dates wrong. Uh, has yet to had, – had yet to train with Atlanta United. Met his teammates for the first time tonight because no one at the training center, I guess other than the medical people, can interact with him because right. he had to go through the COVID quarantine. So this was his first introduction to his teammates. I thought that, it, that he played well. Um, I, I thought that he hooked up play nicely. He was fouled a few times, but he also stayed on his feet a few times. He didn't make – I, I don't think he made a whole lot of risky passes. His passing percentage wasn't great, uh, but he did put guys into some positions to try to make plays, and that's really all you can ask. Yeah, he, he made the team better. Um, he wasn't able to sustain it in the second half. I, I worried that after going 45 at a level of intensity that he hasn't – I mean, he hasn't played a match since the beginning of March – that once you sit down and cool down, it's hard to get going again. And he wasn't the same player in the second half and, and came out fairly early. You saw his quality tonight. I think you saw a lot of different aspects of his game. Um, he'll take people on the dribble. He had a nutmeg on, on Shotkovsky that led to a foul. Uh, he's a good passer. He's, he played George Bellow in on a ball that I don't know if Bellow expected it to be played into him because mm -hmm. Moreno played it very quickly uh, first right. time right. into him. Um, it did take a deflection as well. But Moreno saw that opportunity and played it. You also saw that he can recover the ball really well. He drops in and can defend, and, and he's scrappy and, and created nearly great opportunity with winning the ball back in a dangerous spot. You, you just have to keep right now. I mean, your, your margin's so thin. You know, if he's healthy and can play, you want to play him because he's your best player right now, your most talented player. You want him on the field if he can keep going. And he's fit. He's just not match fit. And that's two different things. 
Yeah. Um, in all honesty, playing Red Bulls probably wasn't the ideal opponent for Moreno's skill set. It was also why I thought uh, Glass's starting lineup was really curious tonight. He had a lot of speed on the field, and you know how Red Bulls are going to play, and you know if they get a goal, what they're going to do. And so as a result, he didn't really have anyone on the bench that could come in and impact the game, I didn't think. Um, but the next opponent, Miami, should Moreno start, I think is going to be a very good indication of, of all the things he can do. Um, yeah. Red, Red Bulls are just – they're a good team. Uh, and all credit to them because they keep doing it no matter who gets plugged in, uh, which is the sign of a true system. They have a system that it suits itself to plugging different pieces in, and, and they do a good job of bringing guys through. I mean, getting a, a player like Clark coming through your second team where he was dangerous all season long, scored goals, assisted on goals, you bring him in, hits the ground running. It, it's the same idea. It's the same way to play. Um, you know exactly what to expect. The Red Bulls – Long term, it'll be very interesting with Gerhard Struber coming in. I think he's coming in to develop more talent because the New York outlet of the the Red Bull soccer organization is honestly probably last out of their first division teams right now in terms of level. I mean, when you compare it to Bragantino in Brazil, you compare it to Salzburg or Leipzig, obviously their crown jewel. The, the New York team isn't developing talent to move up the ladder at the moment. Tyler Adams is already gone. He's at Leipzig. After that, doesn't feel like there's anybody there yet. Maybe Clark is one. Maybe that's why you bring him through at a young age. Maybe there's others coming and they want Struber in place. Because the Red Bulls in New York will always be looking to win games and be effective and be dangerous, but play in a system that suits what they do in Austria with Salzburg, potentially with Brazil and Bragantino. They haven't exploited that yet. And Leipzig. And good players from New York will move through the chain that's why the system is so important because it's the same as they play everywhere. Right. Um, I thought the man of the match for Atlanta United was probably Franco Escobar tonight. Uh, 100% agree. Moved back into center back, the position that he has long said he feels is his best. Um, it's curious why Fernando Meza did not get a start, but that's for down the road. Uh, Escobar was really almost a one-man gang. Uh, on defense tonight. There were times that I, I completely forgot that Anton walks, and that's not a, a criticism of walks or Bricks Lennon were even on the field as defenders because Escobar was running around so much. He was everywhere and he was controlled. He organized. I mean, we, we talked about it in the pregame. You know, you flash back to what Leandro Gonzalez Perez said last year about how. In the, the first two years, the team, Michael Parkhurst, was in the, the daddy role, I think is the way he said it. Um, and an LGP had to figure out how to be that at times last year with Miles Robinson. Well, tonight, Franco Escobar was absolutely in the daddy role as a defender. He was the oldest player on that back line. And he lived up to the occasion because it wasn't just his play on the ball. It wasn't just his aggressive tackling. It wasn't just recoveries. It was organization and it was communication. I was really, really impressed with Escobar in that center back role, and I'd love to see more of it. So, uh, other than Escobar, I mean, who do you think 
did well for Atlanta United tonight? Escobar Moreno. Um, we'll go through it really fast. Uh, I mean, Kazan, you have to have the question about the goal kick giveaway. Bello was, was all right defensively, but not sharp in the final third. Walks was solid. Um, Lennon needed a little, needed to be a little more, de- more, little more decisive in the attack when he got forward. It seemed like he was hesitant on crosses. Heinemann was really good with Moreno. Uh, I don't think he was the same after that. I think Heinemann and Moreno complement each other pretty well. That's a pairing I want to see more of. Yeah, I think Heinemann is on his sixth consecutive game. Yeah, uh, Heinemann so and Lorenowitz looked he, like he that. May be, yeah, they may be running on steam at this point. Yeah, Teams. both of them did, and that was a problem. Um, Gallagher, he worked, but it's hard for him against Tarek and Parker. He's not going to win a lot in the air, and he's got to be crafty and, and get in front of a ball to the near post. And he had one opportunity where he tried to do that. He won a corner out of it. That was about it. Uh, Don yeah, didn't really bring anything different. Yeah, Dom. Dom, Dom, really he, he, Dom is, his first touch is, was so indecisive in the penalty box tonight. It's like he kept getting stuck in between ideas, and then nothing happened as yeah. a result. Yeah, Jurgen. I think for him, honestly, he's just playing at this point. He, he's got to get back to where he's sharp. He worked. He looked pretty good physically. I mean, he looked like he could open it up and, and run and run hard. He tracked back and defended. Uh, he's not comfortable right now on the ball, and you want to get that back in him because he's, he's an awkward player to defend because you know about his speed and you have to respect it. He's not like a, a flashy dribbler, but he beats people consistently because it's different. It's awkward. And they have to worry about him just touching the ball past him and running by him. Um, yeah, and Red, Red Bulls to me, again, are not an opponent that he's going to be able to do that against. I know it's Red tough. Bulls wants to press, but it's not like the press where when, when they were in New York two years ago and they just pressed them off the field. Much, much different type press tonight. And the first half really, was very different. Yeah, it didn't really suit what I think Glass was going was hoping for from both Mulraney on the left and down on the right. And going to Gallagher, uh, Gallagher for a second because that, that's how you prefer to pronounce it. Um, yes. There was one cross from the left that came in and went all the way across the box, and Gallagher just couldn't quite reach it. And in yep. my mind, I was thinking that is the result of inexperience. Um, had he played a, as a single striker more, he would have been better positioned to get to that ball. Um, but he wasn't. It's not. It's not a criticism of Gallagher. It's just. It's just he doesn't have a lot of minutes there in the past couple of years. And so Atlanta United needs a striker. Not a surprise. Um, there's really not one on the roster that could have probably gotten that ball other than Joseph. Yeah. And that's, again, the gigantist hole on the team. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a real thing. And I, I know we don't want to lean on that as – you know, excuses, everybody's missing players, et cetera, et cetera. But you see teams that are missing their attacking focal point. They're not the same team. You can't expect them to be. Kubo Torres maybe could have taken some of the load off, but then he was injured and we never got to see that. So it's difficult. And that's what magnifies the other things we've talked about tonight, like the referee decisions, like the 
turnovers, like the set piece defending. All that stuff gets magnified because this is not a team right now that can score a whole lot of goals. Right. And when you fall behind one nothing to Red Bulls, that is that's not like falling behind one nothing to Inter Miami or 100%. or you know, a dozen other teams in Major League Soccer. There are a few teams in the league that if you fall behind one to nothing, you know we're in trouble. Um, and Red Bulls is one. Nashville, you can argue, even though they're in the first season, is another. Uh, Portland this season is probably another. Um, Columbus is another this season. Um, and they just couldn't, couldn't get past that. So I wanted to ask you about your TV experience. Did you have fun tonight? Yeah, it's always fun hanging out and talking soccer with Kevin Egan and Jillian Sakovitz. And they make it so easy for somebody to slide in and, and, and be themselves and, and kind of join the party. And Eric Kendall, who produces, and everybody on the crew, I mean, it's just – it's really easy to slide in there. And it's very different. I mean, it's a different medium, obviously, and it's a different kind of feel. Uh, but they make it easy to, to step in and, and try to fill Dan Gargan's shoes. All right, tell the truth. How many suits do you own? Um, three. Okay. I just want to make sure that wasn't your only suit. Because if you do another TV gig, you've got to wear something different. Yeah, what's the big deal here? Like, (laughs) you know, I'm not wearing suits for radio. (laughs) I'm not wearing a suit right now. I'm in. Yeah, I haven't seen you in a suit, Doug. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I never have to wear a suit again. Uh, Except except maybe to all my kids' graduations. That that would be (laughs) Um, uh, it was fun playing dress up. It was fun hanging out and talking soccer on TV. So we have now a situation uh, at Lenny United going to Miami, which has won two consecutive games. Uh, it beat Houston tonight. Uh, that's a tough game. Uh, at Lenny United didn't do great uh, when it went to Miami the first time or the second time, the first time they didn't play. Um, then it has to go to Toronto in Connecticut. That's going to be a Unbelievably tough game. Then it gets a break and gets to face DC United. Then it's at Orlando. Tough game. Cincinnati at home. That should be three points. At Columbus, which could be fighting for the supporter shield. And it's going to have a game to make up at some point because this game against Orlando has been suspended uh, for tomorrow. I see off the top of my head four points. Out of the next six games, what are you seeing? I think you got two matches that you'll be favored in. Uh, DC and Cincinnati? Yeah, I think you'll be favored in those two. Uh, But that's not going to be enough. You're going to have to find points in the other four. And that's going to be hard. There's there's just no way around it. Um, This is a team that any mistake is hard to overcome. And it's hard to play perfect soccer right now at this time of the year with, with the different challenges that 2020 has brought you, it's very hard to be perfect. And you're going to need to be in at least a couple of those games where you're the underdog. And you're going to be the underdog, I think, in Miami. That's uh, kind of a toss-up game, but Miami's a different team right now with a couple of wins under their belt. You're going to be the underdog against Orlando. You're going to be the underdog against Toronto. You're going to be the underdog against Columbus. I don't feel like that's a – controversial thing to say but you've got to find something in those four games where you're the underdog now you look at a couple of the other teams and we we talked about chicago i think is going to be a team 
that will compete with Atlanta United for that final playoff spot. Chicago has left D.C. United. That should be three points. That's at home. They're at Minnesota. You don't know what Minnesota team is going to show up, but it is on the road, so that's yep. going to be tough. At home against Sporting Kansas City, which is a very good team. Mm-hmm. Maybe one point is probably the most you're going to get out of that. Red Bulls at home. Red Bulls just beat Atlanta United. Yep. At Philadelphia, that's another tough game. At Nashville, which is going to be a tough game. NYCFC at home, uh, which is going to be a tough game. How many they might points? be favored in one. Yeah. So Atlanta United has that going for it. Now I wanted to look at uh, Miami's remaining schedule. Atlanta, which already discussed, at Montreal in Connecticut. Are they in Connecticut? Where are they? Uh, Red Bull. Red Bull Arena. The Red Bull. Okay. Uh, that's going to be a tough game. Yeah, that's a toss-up. That's a weird one. Orlando uh, at home, tough game. At FC Dallas, tough game. At Toronto and Connecticut, tough game. Versus Cincinnati at home, should be three points. Yeah, you'll be favored in two if you're Miami. Yep. Let's go to Montreal. At Philadelphia, very tough game. Uh-huh. At home against New England, eh, uh, you can get three points out of that. Yep. At home against Miami, you can get three points out of that. At NYCFC, uh, uh, tough game, even though it's not at Yankee Stadium. No, at it is home, at Yankee Stadium now. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, they are going back to Yankee Stadium. That's not going to be a win. Versus Nashville at home, they should at least get a point. At home against Orlando, very tough game. It depends on if Orlando is even fighting for playoffs or the, the seeding in their playoffs, but I think they are going to be. At D.C. United, which is going to be three points. you got to figure Montreal is going to pull away from the pack. Yeah, and secure, I'd agree. And secure a playoff spot there. And then the other team in the pack, uh, I'm losing, I'm forgetting. Uh, right. Oh, Nashville. I'm sorry, Nashville. Yeah. Let me look at Nashville's schedule real quick. Let's go through that. Um, Nashville has a lot of games left. At Sporting Kansas City, that it's no points. At Houston, Houston has fallen flat, but you got to think Houston's going to get at least a point out of that. At home against FC Dallas, that's a tough game. Um, at home against New England, you don't know what New England team's going to show up, so let's give them three points there. At Montreal, uh, Montreal's going to be fighting for a playoff spot. At home against Chicago, two teams really fighting for a playoff spot. At home against Dallas, same thing. At Orlando, Orlando's going to win that one. So you look at these games. They'll be be favored in three, maybe four. Yeah, you look at these games that are left, and it seems like every other team except for – um, Chicago is going to be favored in more games than Atlanta United. Um, so they're going to have to, I think, steal a result in one of these remaining games. Yeah. Which one? You got to win the two that you're. You got to win the two that you're favored to win, and that's DC and Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say at Miami because it's the biggest one because right. they're the ones you're playing with. They're the weakest one of those teams that you're not going to be favored against out of Toronto, Orlando, and Columbus. Uh-huh. So you, the Miami game after today's result becomes critical. It's not must win because there's more games to make it up because you can steal something at somebody else, but it's critical. It's one of those classic six-pointers. Right. Yep. Yep. 
All right, Jason, what do y'all have upcoming, buddy? We got the overreaction Monday on Cypher <laughs> Down here, 9 o'clock. Um, I would assume we'll probably be talking about offside and Law 11 quite a bit. 9 o'clock, you can watch on twitch.tv slash soccer down here. You can listen on the Soccer Down Here app. You can listen on soccerdownhere.net. Uh, we'll have soccer over there in the evening. We'll be talking about all the international matches going on during this international break worldwide, especially the South American qualifiers. And then uh, we'll have the run-up on Tuesday, getting ready for Atlanta and Miami on Wednesday. All right. So at this point, I'm going to let Jason go, and I'm going to give you my theory on Ezekiel Barco and his absences, one of two theories on his absence, because, again, they're just theories. They're not based on anything because no one on the team other than Carlos Bocanegra and Stephen Glass arguably has shed any light on the situation. So we're going to let I'm running out go. the door, Doug. Um, so, Jason, if you want to go ahead and hang up, I appreciate <laughs> you being on, and I'm going to finish this podcast. I'm leaving. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, buddy. So, Ezekiel Barco missed his sixth consecutive game tonight um, because of an injury. We've heard from Carlos Bocanegra, the team's vice president, and Stephen Glass that Barco is desperate to get on the field, that the injury keeps recurring, whatever it is. We don't know what it is. Bocanegra would not share what it is. Um, but things, there are things that, that in my opinion, and, and others who follow the team, don't make a lot of sense. Um, so the first theory is it is exactly what Bocanegra says it is, that he keeps suffering a recurrence of an injury, and that is what is continuing to prevent him from playing in games. And that is probably accurate. Um, the other theory, or a, another theory, not like there's only two, and this is mine, is that, and this is shared by some of y'all, that Barco is holding out um, to get to the offseason in hopes that he is sold. That one makes some sense to me, and I'll explain why. Um, if a player does not train in Major League Soccer, does not participate in a team-mandated activity such as training, they could be fined. In Barco's case, because of his salary, it is a significant fine. I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. And the blog is Atlanta United better off without Barco, with or without Barco, I should say. Um, so he has to come to training. He has to participate in the medical training. He has to do all those things, or he, ever having missed six games, if you were to add up all the playoff, all the practices from the past six games, that would be a significant chunk of change. But if two days or a day before the game he tells the coaching staff, "I can't play," there's no fine for that. Uh, according to the CBA, um, at least according to my research into the CBA. So it would seem possible, not probable, I'm only saying possible, that he's coming to training to avoid the fines and then the two days or a day before the game telling the team, I can't play because of whatever the injury is. And again, we don't know what the injury is. If we knew, all this could be cleared up. All we know is that Bocanegra says it's not long term, that he's coming to the 
team's training staff to get treatment three times a day, but you expect he would if he's hoping to get sold to another team. Um, there was a video posted today by the team, and I can't believe it was posted. It was some skit about FIFA ratings. And in that skit, you saw Joseph Martinez and Eric Rometty and Jurgen Dom asked about Barco's rating, and they each held up different messages, one of which from Jurgen Dom says, bye. Another said something else. Uh, but they were all, I don't know, uh, negative, uh, for lack of a better word. Like Marco wasn't there or didn't want to be there or, or, or something. Um, so that didn't look good for Barco and is kind of another string in this tapestry. Now, it was also pointed out to me by someone else who covers Atlanta United that Barco has not played since this team meeting six games ago, in which, as described by other members of the team after that meeting, uh, basically there, there was a, a call to either believe in the team's tactics or don't play. And part of the team's tactics are being scrappy, fighting, playing hard, uh, winning however possible. Barco has not played since that team meeting. Uh, so you could think, well, maybe he got mad about something said in the team meeting and didn't play. I don't know. I don't know him well enough to know if that's how he thinks. I don't know him well enough to know uh, if he would hold out and not play. But the, the facts fit either the theory that he is injured, keeps wanting to return, and doesn't return, or he's holding out. Now, you could say, well, Bocanegra said that he's hurt. Well, Bocanegra is saying that he's hurt. Bocanegra is telling the truth as he's being told by Barco. Um, if my theory is possible. It's, it's an odd, odd thing. And, and I want Barco to succeed. I don't want to see anyone fail. That's not fun. Um, but missing six, six consecutive games, never being put on the injury report, keep being told day to day, day to day, day to day, keep being pulled out. You know, it, it's just an odd, odd. I've never seen this before in, in all my years covering sports and all my years as a sports editor. Um, except in situations where the player wanted out. And this was how they got out. Um, I can remember covering the team at, in training camp last year in Fullerton in California. And it was obvious that Nagby wanted out. So in the scrimmages and in other training, he kind of went through the motions. And the parallel to Barco is kind of similar. He's just not going through the motions in games because he doesn't have to. Uh, he will go to the training because he doesn't want to be fined. Um, those are all my theories. It's just a theory. Please, please do not run with it as if it's factual. Please don't post it as if it's factual. It is just a theory. For all I know, we could see Barco in the 18 on Wednesday. It would surprise me since he didn't train with the team last week. But Marino also started, and he's never trained with the team. So who knows? Uh, so here's hoping Barco is in the 18, finishes the season strong, increases his value, and then gets that move to Europe that he wants and I think the team wants so that it can recoup some of its investment, get another feather in its cap, and move forward. Um, but all right, that's my theory. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I hope you all are safe. Please stay safe during COVID. Remember to vote.
In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.